Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. There we go, and here we are. Friday and M and Evil is in the month house, Mike. What's up? Hello, everyone. <laughs> How are you this Friday, Mario? Man, I'm great, man. This is going to be a great show. I just hate it that... Uh, it is. I can't uh, believe we waited this long to do this. Yeah, tell me about it. 
this is going to, you know, I'm going to have a ball with this because, uh, you know what, I didn't even write it down a list. I mean, I'm, I'm, in this, I'm, in, I'm so far in the horror that I can recite all this stuff off the top of my head. So, I'm even so excited about great. Halloween because it's your favorite holiday, and you've been you've been changing your profile picture every other day to some scene from some horror movie, and it's hilarious. Um, it's just going to be so much fun. And anyone that's interested in films, particularly the horror genre, please call in. We'd love to speak with you because we don't want to be nerds all by ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, if you want to um, give us a call and jump in on the conversation and tell us about your horror favorite favorites and whatnot, because we're just gonna rattle off ours and really gonna start with our favorites first and then just kind of work it around where it pops in the mind. So, if you want to call in and chip in on the conversation, oh, I know the number. Please I know do the so. Number. Do oh yeah. Go ahead. Three one zero nine eight two. Forty-two seventy-three to get through. <laughs> what would be proud? <laughs> what would be so proud awesome. of me? Cool, 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 cool. So, uh, um, how, yeah, all right, let me first. Let me ask this: Are you really a horror fan, or are you, are you more a casual horror fan? I love movies, period. Um, there are certain films that I won't watch because the subject matter is too um, jarring emotionally, but I'm not one of those people that can watch a horror movie and just be, like, you know, destroyed, like, too horrified to do anything for the next few hours, um, or one of those people that watches a psychological thriller and, you know, starts questioning the meaning of life. I love those type <laughs> of movies. I love, love, love very intelligent films. Um I love horror. I think it really explores a part of the human psyche that a lot of people would rather pretend wasn't there. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I think horror has always been that uh, that one genre of entertainment that is pure escapism. It's pure. Mm-hmm. It's it does. We don't need three hundred three hundred billion dollar budgets for our movies. We don't need. Uh, uh, big studios and whatnot. We really just need a good concept, a good villain, some teenagers to kill, and we're happy. And mm-hmm. you know, so, so a lot of the horror movies I love are not really good movies, but they are good for what they are doing, for what they're trying to do. If we exactly. hold up a lot of like, yeah, like you go back and you watch like Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the Thirteenth, and some of those movies really, when you think about it, they're not good movies, but we love what they were doing what they were trying to do within their own realm, within their own world. And that I is awesome. Love, I love, too, that a lot of people got their start doing horror flicks. Like um, you right. mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street, which we will talk about later because that's definitely on my list. It was Johnny Depp's first movie. Um, right. A lot of people don't know that. And we barely remember him in the movie until, you know, you see the movie and you're like, oh, that's Johnny Depp. But you know, when we think about Edward, when we think about Johnny Depp, most people think of Edward Scissorhands, not Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, right. So it's good for that. It's it's a great exposure, um, and it's a really great niche for people who are either really great actors or really subpar actors. Um, um, a psychologically involved horror flick can be a great um, foundation um, for someone who wants to go into doing character studies. Um, um, or who wants to show off their range. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis is an example of that. Or it could just be a niche for someone who likes 
um, you know, action-based horror. And, right. you know, doesn't really want to do anything more than that. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's really, it's really, uh, one of the, it's, it's really the only genre you can really have true fun in. I mean, but you, you're not grounded by so many rules of reality. And some of it, some of it is not going to make sense outside of the realm that they, they exist in, you know. But, hey, who gives a shit? You know, seven-foot zombie killing killing teenagers is fun to me. I'm going to have a blast. So, uh, okay, well, uh, why don't you kick it off first? Because I think your list might be significantly um, – I might have been a little bit too picky. So you go ahead and kick off your first pick. All right, so I guess I – all right. My first and my very my favorite is always going to be John Carpenter's 1978 Halloween. All I, right. I've loved it. I've loved this movie ever since I was a kid, mainly because not only the simplicity of it, you know, it's just it, you know, but the score. The score is so important to this movie because mm-hmm. the score alone, the initial theme of the the song. And I had started the, the show off with it, but I don't think anybody was on and heard it at the time. But, you know, um, the score comes in and gives you this chilling, uh, almost uh, mind-fuck kind of sound that is just letting you know that this is not going to be a typical horror movie. Um, yeah, like you, it, hear that, you hear that score and you know, like, something's about to pop off. I'm not safe right now. You feel like, as a, as a viewer... That something's really wrong. Right, right. Like this. This, that this is a very, this a very consistent, um, like feeling of of you get this feeling of paranoia, and you know, almost like you're being stalked. Um, right. When you hear that. Right, and a lot of people don't know this. First of all, this wasn't John Carpenter's first movie. He had already done the first Assault on Precinct 13 before that. And um, Donald Pleasance uh, didn't, uh, really didn't know what he was going to do at first. But if anybody watches James Bond movies, John, Donald Pleasance is the uh, villain that uh, Dr. Evil from uh, Austin Powers was modeled after. Yeah, he's a little creepy little dude with a messed up eye and a cat. In a in a Bond movie, you need a cat. All right, so and then you got this uh, you got this this menace that has nothing, no real motivation. He has no fear, no anger, no happiness, no empathy. His face resembles a human face. His body resembles a body, but there's blankness on his face because he has. He has no imp- human impulse. He's almost like, almost like, just a, a blank, a blank uh, um, outline of a human. And even in um, in the nineteen seventy eight original, he is credited as the shape in the credits because he's not really a human being. He's just more of an entity of evil than anything. Uh, mm-hmm. So. And then on top of that, you know, John Carpenter. John Carpenter has always been pretty good with his uh, his uh, uh, his shots, his tight shots, and showing where where the horror is and uh, keeping your eyes focused. In a lot of the shots that you will see in the movie, 
you'll see Michael Myers lurking right in the background, just creepily mm-hmm. in the background. He isn't doing anything, but he's just there. He's just looking. And that, yeah. to me, you know, on top of that, you got the idea of suburban horror that you're not as safe as you think you are. And one one of the uh, uh, scenes, Jamie Lee Curtis runs out of the house screaming, runs to the next door, and is banging on the door, and the people turn the lights, see what's going on, then turn the lights back off. And just li- it's, this is your business. You handle it. Yeah, so, yeah, that always that always was like a really pivotal scene to me because I felt that as sick as sickening as it was that they would leave her to fend for herself, it was incredibly yeah. realistic. And what I loved about the right. movies too is everybody who watches horror movies knows this as well. You aren't in that much danger when the villain is running after you. It's when they're walking right. after you or when they're standing still as you run that you know you're in real danger. So this person knows right. they have you. They're not even attempting to pursue you right now. If you right. have a, you have the best chance for survival and escape if they are actually running after you. When the person's just taking their sweet time walking or just not even walking at all, just watching you go, you know shit just got real. <laughs> like, exactly. You're, exactly. You're fucked. And then then the crescendo of the movie where um Donald Pleasance walks in and um, he shoots Michael once and then walks in again and Mike's just standing there and he shoots him five more times and knocks him off the uh, balcony. And then when he goes up to the balcony he looks down, this son of a bitch is gone. Now, I don't know about you, mm-hmm. but I'm quitting and going the fuck home because at that point in time, this shit has got a little bit too real. This is above my pay grade. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm turning in my notice next morning. Like, look, y'all can have this shit. This motherfucker ain't my son. I ain't getting paid to watch this <laughs> dude. I'm gone. So, yeah. So, what's yours, uh, uh, Ann? Well, um, since you said Halloween, that is on my list as well. But it is not John Carpenter's Halloween. It is Rob Zombie's Halloween from two thousand. And oddly enough, um. <laughs> Uh, it's Rob Zombie's Halloween from 2007. Um, it's I love it. Obviously, um, as far as the score is concerned, um, it is it's not even on the same level as John Carpenter's. But cinematically, and as far as the writing goes, I believe it is on par, if not superior, to John Carpenter's Halloween. And, and the reason why I love it so. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you something. I didn't originally like the movie at first because I was still comparing it to John Carpenter's, but when I watched it that second time, you know, a few years removed from it, I'm like, this is a good movie. You could almost interchange these, you know, movies almost like... And it, it, it is. It's good. And yeah, you know what it is? Good. I have to give Bob Zombie, like, amazing kudos because he's done some horror flicks in the past, but to take on a remake of a John Carpenter flick takes a lot of balls. Um, yeah. He is like the master of cinematic horror. Everybody knows this. It's not debatable. Um, but I saw the remake, and for those who have not seen the Halloween remake, oh, um, side, quick side note, everything that on my list is going to be filled with spoilers. So if you haven't watched these movies and you're anti-spoiler, um, you should probably stop listening right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's what I was saying. <laughs> um. The 2007 remake of Halloween by by um, by Rob Zombie is is 
very, very intelligently made. And what makes the movie so intelligent is that it takes you back to the very beginnings of um, the sociopathic violent behavior of young Michael Myers. Um, We see his home life as a child. We see the conditions that he had to live in and go to school in um, and interact in or, or lack of interaction in his case. Um, we saw the way that he was with his family, and we saw all the red flags, all the warning signs of deviant, violent behavior and um, self-loathing that um, culminated in him being a killer. And the acting in this movie was absolutely stellar. Um, the cast, I believe, is... Let me let me take a really quick look at the the man who played um, young Michael Myers. Um, his name is Dag Fersh. Um, not an American name. I don't know if he's American or not. But I haven't seen him or heard of him being in any other film. But the child who plays young Michael Myers carries the film pretty much. We don't see grown up Michael Myers very often, and pretty much. The, to sum things up, as far as his family is concerned, Michael Myers is poor, what people would consider white trash, um, in a very conservative, judgmental town. His mother is a stripper. Um, his stepfather is an ogre. And um, his older sister hates him. And he hates everyone. The only people he loves are his mother and his baby sister, Lori. And we see the beginnings of sociopathy. He becomes obsessed with wearing masks. Um, And he has these pets, little hamsters or rats or things like that, and his pets always end up dying. So he tells his mother, but we learn very early in the film that he's the one killing his pets. Um, Finally, um, when enough is enough, and the kid that's always bullied him posts pictures of his mother um, um, from the the strip club ad promos all over school, he takes a tree branch and follows a kid after school one day and beats him to death. That same night after, you know, he snaps and he has, you know, he has a taste of killing his first human victim, he kills his stepfather and his sister as well. And his mother, and this is a true test of a mother's love and devotion, after she sees that Michael has killed her firstborn child and Michael has killed her boyfriend and she's, he's just sitting on the front steps of their house holding his baby sister, she doesn't turn her back on him. She doesn't throw him to the wolves. She stands by him and when he, go, when he gets institutionalized, she visits him every, every single week, okay? Um, she's the one that tells him, not to wear the mask. And we also learn why he wears a mask. He thinks he's ugly. Now, anyone who's seen the 2007 remake knows that that child is not ugly. But it isn't until later on in the movie that his mother figures out what the audience has already learned. When he's talking about the mask covering his ugliness, he's not talking about his physical appearance. He's speaking of the ugliness within. He doesn't want people to see the horror within him because he knows there's something wrong with him. He knows what the thoughts that he has and the actions that he takes are hideous. 
and, you know, his mom thinks that, you know, the therapy is working, et cetera, et cetera, and then he snaps one day. He kills one of the nurses at the institution, and his mother realizes there's probably no hope for him, and so later on that night at home, she kills herself. Um, there's much more to the movie than that, but this gives us, a, a like, a basis of why Michael was so obsessed with Lori in the first place, because besides his mother, this is the only person he ever truly cared about. I don't think he understands even how to care about anyone else but them. Um, but it's a great film. It's brilliant. I think the acting um, on everyone's behalf was stellar. Um Sherry Lynn Zombie, wife of, Rob, wife of Rob Zombie, was also in this movie. She plays Deborah Myers, Michael's mother. And um, and we see that, you know, besides being typecast in all, a lot of Rob Zombie flicks, she's a great actress. Her role was a great character study. Um, and, you know, she showed such a strength of character in that role um, of Deborah Myers because she did something that not every parent would be capable of doing, supporting one of their children after they killed another. So I loved her in that role. I loved everybody in that role. Um, I think the the cast was perfect, spot on. I wouldn't have replaced them with anyone else. And, yeah, that's my first pick. If you haven't seen the remake of Halloween, um, you need to watch Halloween 2007 directed by Rob Zombie, or I just don't know what you're doing with your life, but go watch it, please. <laughs> Mike, uh, Mario, are you there? Hello? And phone on mute, my bad, my bad. Uh, <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's, uh, um, it's awesome that he brought in Brad Dura for one thing, because Brad Dura, if you're a horror fan, you know who Brad Dura is. He's the voice of Chucky. He also brought in Ken Forey from George Romero's, uh, I think it was Dawn of the Dead. He was in one of those two movies. And um, also he brought back Danielle Harris. If you know the Halloween franchise, Danielle Harris was the little girl who played Jamie Lloyd in Halloween 4 and 5 and pretty much carried those movies because, trust me, especially 5 and 6 are abysmal piles of shit. All right. Um, we got a few callers, so let's let uh, one or two of them in online. Yay, callers! Uh, we want to be, be able to get to our list and talk about and everything, so keep that in mind when, you, when we chime you in, okay? Uh, 615, I'm going to bring you in first. The hell Hello. Okay. All right. Hello. How are you on this ghoulish evening? Yeah. Hi. Hi. How you doing, guys? Doing M and Mario. This is um Tariq. I don't know if you guys remember me from Facebook. Hi, uh, Tariq. I was just... <laughs> hell um, no. Who the hell is this? Tariq Perry, right? <laughs> 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 Tariq Perry. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Um, I clicked in when I heard M. I'm waiting for a client right now, so um. And my wife, I said, well, let me, uh, this is the first time for me to call in and you guys. Um, um I clicked in when I heard Em mention Halloween to the remake, and I said, oh, my goodness, I have to click in on this. Um, and I totally agree with everything you said about that film. That's one of the few ho- actual pure horror films that's a good movie, which, Mario, you mentioned right. that earlier, which I said that before. A lot of horror flicks just aren't well-done movies. 
Now, this is yeah. a kind of or classic, but they're just not well done for a variety of reasons. Right. Halloween, the remake, definitely went outside that mode with the acting, the quality of the script. I, I totally agree. And the character development was, you, you, you did a great job explaining it, M. It was beautiful, which, I mean, me personally, I look for that in any story or I read or watch anything. I love character development. I like learning the history, what happened, what may have contributed to to this character being like this, anything. Um, yeah, I especially when they do it right. Because, you know, when they like when they went back with Hannibal, Hannibal Rising, they kind of goofed it up. I think sometimes I think that a character should stay an enigma. You know, like yeah. you don't need yeah. to know too too much. Yes, yes. Yeah, but with yes. Michael, we were dying to know, and it really didn't take away from anything that he was doing. If anything, yeah. it only lent yeah. to th- this feeling in, in inside the viewer where you are this dichotomy right. of at once being repulsed by his behavior and feeling sorry for him, which only adds right. to the viewing experience. Because the way I feel about from Halloween the remake is, like the original, and again, no shade on John, John Carpenter, that movie could not have existed as, say, a novel. Um, yeah. The, the thing is, you need those shots of Michael Myers being in the background, and you need that score for the movie to work. It, trying to explain right. that in in the written word wouldn't have worked. Yeah, right. Rob Zombie remake is something you could put in a book, and you would read it, and it would be something that read kind of like Hannibal. Yeah. You're like, okay, yeah. this is the mind of a, of a killer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think it did a really good job of explaining, um, like you said, um, that there's gray areas in everything. Like, sure, Michael is an evil creature, whatever you whatever you want to call him, that should be destroyed, but it's like, wow, after learning about it, it makes me have somewhat of a more, I have a little more sympathy for him. Not to say I'm condoning anything, but it's like I do feel bad for him on some level at some point because of that. It's like, you know, everything in life isn't black and white. And even it really, is too bad. I'm really, is t- really is too bad he kind of jacked it up on in part two, though, because uh, part two, I don't know what the hell he was trying to do with the white horse shit like that, all that symbolism shit. I don't know what he was I going I think he got for, a little but... bit too mystical, but I, I, I still appreciated the second, um, the, the Halloween 2, the remake as well. I think, like I said, I, I think the symbolism was over the top. But I think yeah. he was trying. I think he what he did was something that was completely unnecessary, and that was trying to paint Michael's mother as some sort of a saint. Anyone who watched that movie and saw the way she stood by him even after he killed her child and her husband already saw the woman as a saint. Like, yeah, how many yeah. people would put up with that anyway? It really yeah, wasn't yeah. necessary it's, what he did. It's almost as if right. he wanted to make sure wife had more screen time as almost sometimes. You, you yeah, know, you, yeah, that's what I think it was. I think, like, okay, she obviously can't play her own daughter. She looks like in her early 30s, so what are we going to do yeah. to put her in this movie? Yeah, yeah. So I think that was a big thing. Um, but, yeah, um, great. I love what I'm hearing so far, guys. I'm a big horror fan, I don't, um, and I just want to let you guys know. My favorite film, just for the record, is the original Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead. I know that's on Mario's list, so we're going to discuss that, too. Thank you so much for calling in. No problem, guys. I enjoy the show. Thank you. Okay, this is right. random as hell, Mario, but is Block Talk recommending a show for you called Family Prayer? Yeah, it did. It, 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 it. <laughs> right, right on the edge of my Block Talk screen, it's like recommended for you Family Prayer. Hashtag pray, pray, pray. Like, do they not even know what our show's about? 
Let's bring in one more call while we at it. Three one four, you on the line. Hey, what's up? This is Mario. Hi Mario. Hey, this is how you Mario doing? listeners. This is Mario. Oh, Cannon, yeah, okay. Um founder of Black oh, Atheist. Thank you for calling in. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to call in. Your assessment of um sorry? Oh, I was gonna say it's yeah, of, 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 okay. <laughs> yeah, your of uh of uh the 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 Halloween remake was spot on and uh I think uh Rob Zombie is probably uh underappreciated as a horror director, you know, in uh in yes, general. Uh there's uh I, I there's a few of his uh horror movies that you know that right there on my top ten um uh greatest horror movie list, you know. And um, you know, I'm running like a ongoing series on my space on my um Facebook page or whatever about thirty one classic uh horror movies for the month of October and you know, that his movies would definitely be on my top ten. Um if I were to say what my greatest horror movie or my favorite horror movie of all time is, I would have to say uh the the sweetest version of Let the Right One In. Oh, oh yeah. And Actually, the original yeah, it's, called it's, Let the Right One In, and the American remake is called Let Me In. Um, but I love them both. Yeah, I, that's on my list. Thank you so much for bringing that. Yeah, because the character development and cinematography was excellent. Of Dale. all time. Right. Dale. I can watch yeah. both versions, the, the Let the Right One In, which is the Swedish, and the American remake, Let Me In. I can literally watch those movies at least once a week. Um, I don't even do yeah. the horror. Yeah. It's gotten to the point for me yeah. where it's, it's, it's like a psychological mind meld. I rethink my view on humanity and the world every time I see that film. And the ending yes, is, yes, exactly. is, is awesome because, you know, like when the, when the boy's in the pool and you can see – you can't see what's happening, but you know she up there whooping ass. And I think mm-hmm. that's the whole so it's so great because it's not like Saw and Hostel where they're showing you everything and there's no mystery. You're sitting there wondering, what the fuck is she doing? Because that dude's head just jumped, fell in the pool. You know, and it's, it's much better. Okay, since all three of us love this film and all three of us have seen it and it's on my list and I think it's on your list too, Mario. Um, Mario, we can we should discuss this. Um, right. Now, for me personally, I prefer the American remake, which is Let Me In. But I have seen yeah. both, and I'm gonna, there's only one reason why I prefer the American remake. The Swedish version, the original, which is called Let the Right One In, um, is also stellar. Great character development, and the 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 plot, the execution of it is almost identical um, with the remake. The only difference is. The the Swedish version is shot um, in a place where there is just so much light permeating everything. All the scenes that take place outdoors, even though there's it's it's snowing and it's either fall or winter and there's snow on the snow on the ground, light permeates everything. In the American right. version, you get the sense of darkness, not like evil darkness, but like actual physical like absence of light, insufficient light, darkness. And I think it really lends and, something to the film. So it's just that one thing alone is why I put the American version over the Swedish version. I think both both casts it, were great, and both of them had a stellar cast um, of 
Oscar and Ellie, which was the Swedish um, version, and Owen and Abby in the American version. I think the kids cast in those roles were inc- are incredibly talented and should do more films. And that girl, that girl is now um, t- um, she's in the Carrie remake, which should come out soon. And of course, everyone knows her yeah. girl from the Kick-Ass series. Yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, I've known I've yeah. known um, Chloe Mortez would be a great actress since I saw her in Poker House a few years ago. I think she was like nine or ten years old. Um, but that was the movie that made me realize how great of an actress she is. And that's for the little boy um, that played Owen in the American remake, Let Me In. I don't remember his name, but um, I do remember that he was in the film The Road, where it was just him and Viggo Mortensen carrying uh, that entire yeah. film, playing a father and son. Yeah. And I saw that movie, and I'm like, if this kid's agent is worth anything, He's gonna be a big star. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, you I'm, know, uh, creepy is all. Uh, go ahead, go ahead, Mario. Yes, uh, I'm. I'm more partial to the Swedish version, um, just uh, because the Swedish version is a little bit more uh, close, closely uh, linked to the actual book. And in the American version, you get a, you kind of get a sense that uh, um, that Owen. Is going to be uh, Abby's, you know, next flunky, if you will. You get a sense that the guy, the old guy that yeah. took care of Abby, was her flunky, you know, in a sense. Where in the Swedish version and in the book, there is an actual genuine love between uh, Oscar and and Ellie, you know, that uh, uh, isn't necessarily presented in that type of way in the American version. I actually think that both those versions give you the impression that he's going to be her next lackey. And it's only someone who who read the graphic novel who would understand how their relationship is different. Because understand in both versions, you see it's very easy to see Abby as very predatory and very manipulative um, with Owen's feelings. Yeah. Um, if you haven't read the graphic novel and anyone who hasn't read the novel really needs to get on that, it's very easy to see that. She's lived several centuries Okay, um, she's yeah. you know she 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 knows the how to manipulate. You cannot be alive for right. that long and not know how the human mind works. And both movies make it clear that she knows how to hunt for herself. Um, right, and I, I think as long I as don't even normally like child actors. Sometimes, I mean, a lot of times child actors like like the the little boy in uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, terrible kid, you know. Mm-hmm. But then th- this movie here, and even in the American remake, mm-hmm. is like. These kids are really selling this movie. They're holding this movie and carrying exactly. this movie. Exactly. And you know yeah. how can act when they have to hold the movie down. And I'm not talking about a comedy or one of those prissy little Shirley Temple type things. If if an if an actor or an actress can do a real, you know, um, thought provoking dramatic scene and hold that movie down, that says a lot. And the fact that this movie is at once both horror and character study and psychological thriller all all blended into one. Um, now, as far as the Swedish version, let the let the right one in. The only thing I would say I prefer over that one is um, Ellie, as she was called in that movie, sexual ambiguity. Anyone who read the graphic novel, and again, this is a spoiler for the graphic novel. Sorry about that, but it's necessary. Um, they know that. Or the, or the regular novel. Exactly. Um, you know that um, Ellie or Abby, she called in the American remake, was castrated many, many centuries ago. 
the mm. American version lends you to believe that Abby is a girl. There's only one scene where you kind of feel that there's something going on, and that's a scene where Owen sees, um, feels around under the covers, and he could see that. And in, in, in the other scene where he's, he accidentally um, sees her naked while she's changing, and he has this look of surprise on his face. Now, anyone who hasn't read them would think that, okay, maybe it's because he's 12 or 13 years old, he's never saw a naked girl before. But it's it's a Swedish version, um, and giving her the name Ellie, which in Swedish nations is a unisex name, um, that yes. that makes it, makes it more easy to believe that, you know, this is a castrated boy and not a girl. And the fact that Owen knows this um, kind of really reinforces how much he cares for her um, or, or exactly. um, Oscar. Because and, 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 that's and, and, and the interesting. Go ahead. I'm sorry. The, the, the interesting thing is, uh, you know, if you if you read the novel, if you read the novel, um, um, Oscar actually questions his own sexuality because of this. He yep. comes to the conclusion yep. that he loves her so much that it doesn't matter to him what, you know, what she didn't have been in the past is what it, what she is now and what she represents to him. Exactly. You and, know, you know, I, and I will Oscar be reading that Owen, book now, too. See them, both Oscar and Owen, we see them as kids heavily neglected by their parents yeah. and terribly yeah. bullied. Yes. And it's easy to believe that he loves her because she's showering him with this attention that he could desperately use from his parents. But after right. knowing that, Knowing what she and, is, know, she is a vampire, and knowing that being with her means basically living a life of just her and no one else ever being in his life again. You know, he shows the depth of his love for her. You know, and this 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 reminds me of Fledgling, the uh, book by Octavia Butler, in which the protagonist that you're following in the novel describes her as a little girl who probably looks like she's now 10 years old. But actually, she's a vampire who's about 50, 75 years old. And so she, the, the guy she ends up getting with, you know, uh, he's only like in his 30s, but she is actually older than him. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's I like it when people, when they play around with, especially with societal norms and society expectations, by turning, like, the idea of sexuality on its ear or changing how we perceive sexuality or what sexuality should be because, you know, it gives us more of a, to me, it gives it to me it gives me gives me a sense that that character is more of a person than merely just someone's construct on the screen. Yeah. Exactly. And Mario Stanton, I don't know how you feel about this, but although Owen's love for Ellie is in my mind, you know, not a point of debate, like it's there. Every time I see either of these movies, I change my mind about whether Abby loved Abby or Ellie loved Owen or Oscar. Um, and there's, there's yeah, and that's just for that. Like every time I feel like, is she really fucking with his emotions or not? Like I really need to know. And that's that's the beauty of the of the movies in particular because the movies offer that type of ambiguity there that you know that mm-hmm. pretty much keeps you guessing whether Abby or Ellie really loves uh, Owen or Oscar. Where in the you know in the novel, and not necessarily giving trying to give away too many spoilers here as far as the novel. In the novel, it's clear that uh, uh, this 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 vampire, this uh, immortal uh, uh, prepubescent girl, uh, um, actually loves this 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 boy. She sees him 
in a much better light than he sees himself. And also, just here's another spoiler, is that she in the novel she actually offers to turn uh, uh, Oscar on more than one occasion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now, you know, so, yeah, the, 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 well, here's the thing. Here's how I feel about that. And there's a, there's a few reasons I feel about that. Speaking specifically from the movie alone, or I will borrow it from the novel, she did a few things that were quite suspect to me that I saw as the height of manipulation. Um, one of the first things that she did um, in both movies, the first time she approached him was when he was simulating a fight with bullies. I'm thinking maybe yes. he, she saw someone who was lonely and probably had a propensity for violence, and then her interest was was peaked around the same time that her helpmate was kind of deteriorating physically. Then she says she's leaving, but then she waits not just when he's in danger, but when he's actually on the point of death to intervene, and I think this is a way her way of trying to bind him to her more closely emotionally. Like the sense of eternal gratitude because I, when I was on my last breath, she came in like the angel of death and mercy and saved my life. Um, another thing yeah, that she yeah. did was that really irritated me was when her helpmate failed to get, um, you know, the blood for her, he spilled it or whatever, um, she went out and she killed a man and she, she got it done. And it's like, why is it even necessary to bring someone else into your world of absolute secrecy and loneliness and bullshit if you really love them? There's a part of me that thinks that she needs him as a helpmate because she needs to feel less like the monster that she is and a part of me that feels that she just wants him around because she's lonely and another part that just thinks that she likes to have someone around to control and use. Because and, then, and, and all those things was, are true. Yeah. Okay. All those things are, are are absolutely true, and 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 you know the movies, you know, the, the just speaking on the movies alone, those are things that you know that are are pretty bother bothersome, and that you know, kind of sheds you know sheds this cloud of and you know uh, ambiguity over everything, and you know I think that's the beauty of it. It's like you know it keeps you guessing either. You know, either you know, or you know, either you think you know, or you think you you know know that she's uh, manipulative. And to be, true, to be honest with you, she's a little bit of both. I think she's you know she's lonely. She wanted somebody her you know around her, I guess her age, if you will, to to play with. But at the same time, she needed this you know this I guess this parental protector father figure that she knows that you know isn't necessarily a protector. But you know she needs this guy around to you know to, to stop her from feeling. This is what the movie and the book do hey, uh, that that people don't don't really aren't really getting a hold of is that they both play on the fact that she looks like a teenager. She's centuries exactly. old. Exactly. She knows how to play the game. He could just be that new toy. She likes puzzles. She said that. She likes games. Exactly. She could see him that exactly. way. Exactly. And that goes and back then, into the, the, the lore of, of the vampire. You know, the, the vampire has always been a, a creature that is, you know, can command your attention. And especially they have this almost sexual magnetism about them. And to see that place in this little girl here, what we're looking at a little girl, but we also got to keep in mind this kid is actually two, three times our age. So exactly. You know, so it. Oh no! In her case, she's centuries. You know, and and and, and centuries, centuries yeah. old. <laughs> yeah, she 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 is centuries old, and and 
and the one thing that uh, I think gets lost in this this whole conversation is is that uh, the man, the man who uh, is uh, Abby's caretaker, mm-hmm. is actually in both the movies and the novel a bigger predator than Abigail. I mean, than Abby is because exactly. you know you He's have to ask yourself why is this man exactly why is this man with this young you know this I know she's a vampire and I know she's two hundred years old. But she still looks and behaves like a small girl. So why is this guy with her? You know, in that sort of sense. Well, you know, what the American movie and, did, the American remake did, and I think I can see why the Swedish one is your favorite for that reason. Because the American version does lead us to believe that she's known him since he was Owen's age, and that she groomed him in a similar fashion. It also exactly. has a scene where he's okay. listening to them through the wall, and he's she's raising her voice. It doesn't even sound human anymore. She's so distorted with anger, and we get the impression that she is the one in control in their relationship, and that it's not a symbiotic relationship. It's a, only a, a singularly beneficial relationship. Well, cool, cool, cool. Well, you know, this, you know, I, you know, um. Uh, we spent like what twenty minutes on this one movie, so <laughs> let's, uh, awesome. let's kick off. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm gonna drop the call and let you guys talk. Thank you so much. Okay, for man, Mario. appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. All right. So All right, that was know, on my uh, list. So why don't you go to the next one on your list? All right. I guess my next one. Now I guess this counts more as sci-fi horror than straight-up horror. Is uh, David Cronenberg's uh, uh, The Fly? Um, I can't remember the year. I want to say 1986. But I love Jeff Goldblum in that movie. You have no idea. The quirkiness of Jeff Goldblum combined with some type of weird sexuality, and him, he and Dana Davis had a chemistry that was, like, incredible, mainly because they really were having sex. But uh, um, just the, the pacing of the movie is what I love the most. And then the slow transformation and degeneration of this man – as he, I mean, first of all, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, he invents these teleportation pods. There are three pods. Two of them have open glass uh, doors. One of them has a, has a cover. You don't. We rarely even see the third one. We're mainly concerned about the main, the first two. And so he's trying. He's transferred, transported a, a baboon through it, and the baboon was turned inside out, and then. After a few successful runs, he figures out that it's because, and David Cronenberg has an idea about flesh. David Cronenberg is, a, is an atheist, but he has an odd idea about flesh, and a lot of his movies will deal with that, um, deal with the idea of, of flesh. You'll see that in uh, Videodrome and Existence, where he talks about the new flesh and shit like that. But uh, um, the movie um, um, begins to take a turn because he goes through himself and unaware that there's a fly in the pod with him. And the computer was confused about what to do about there being two biological organisms in the same unit and decide to combine them on a molecular genetic level, which is the Damn creepiest technology. thing because, <laughs> right, it's creepy. not only is it the, the scary thing about technology, technology does not have a should I do this or should I, do, should I not do this, it went on it's ahead and did it anyway. Right. So it combined and there's a scene in the movie where Jeff Goldblum is he's already started de- deteriorating. He's on the computer and he he's trying to figure out what happened 
and the computer tells him fusion of Brondo and Fly on a molecular genetic level, and the horror in his eyes when he sees that. And you don't even know what that really means, but you know it means this shit is fucked up. So <laughs> he be- he just degenerates over time and gets to one of the areas when he's in his most degenerate. He looks like a human callus. Uh, or something like that, and he, uh, she is freaking out because she has, she came there to tell him that she was actually pregnant, and um, she was gonna have an abortion, but Awkward. she's trying to tell him about it, and it's like he's telling her, he starts rambling on about insect politics, and when he gets to talking about insects don't have politics, they pretty much do what they want to do and do what they need to do. And she's like, "What the hell is? What the hell are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. And he looks at her, and it's a chilling moment because he says, he's telling her that the man, the human side of him, is being eroded away, replaced by the insect's desires and, and needs because the insect doesn't give a shit. If she stays, he will attack her. Mm-hmm. And it's just the look in his eye, looking. The the moment was played so perfectly. The ending, man, oh, man, the ending. I love <laughs> a good nihilistic ending. I love, I love a good nihilistic ending. And like like, uh, like M said earlier, we're going to spoil a lot of this stuff, so uh, be prepared for You'll get over it. And if you haven't fly. seen these movies yet, I don't know what you're doing with your life, like, honestly. Exactly, um. <laughs> exactly. When it, gets, um. when it gets to the ending, Brondel... The, the creature effects are pretty great, practical creature effects. And this son um, gets teleported because he's trying to teleport her. He gets fused with the machine. And the ending after that is something you have to see for yourself. Yeah. Um, all right. The next movie on my list is The Omen. The original. Uh, yeah. 1976, The Omen, not that crap with Julia Stiles um, and Lee Strasberg <laughs> came out 30 years later. That needs to be killed before it lays eggs. Um, but this <laughs> is awesome. 1976, Gregory Peck. Oh, oh, my God. This is one of the few movies that are that's, like, religiously based that still petrify me to my core, even now that I'm yeah. an atheist. Um, the Omen number one and the Omen number two. I think actually number two might be scarier than number one. And number two is when Damon is a teenager finds out who he is and what his destiny is. It really comes into his own as a prince of darkness. And you are like pee my pants petrified. But um, the premise of the movie is basically um, couple tries for years to have children. They can't have children. Wife gets pregnant. Um, the and um, she gives birth to a stillborn. And they're at the hospital, and this priest is telling him, hey, somebody else just gave birth. She died, but the child's alive. You give the shot to your wife so that it's her kid, and all will be well. And, you know, he has a lot of people um, in his life. The guy is an ambassador, and he doesn't want his, 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 his wife to be in pain anymore from not being able to have a child. So he goes along with this, and they take in this child whom they named Damien. And... Damien is a good kid, and that's what bothers that a lot of people don't fail to understand about the Omen. In the first Omen movie, and in the second, up in, around the time he finds out that he is the spawn of Satan, 
Damien's not a bad kid. Bad shit just keeps happening around him because mm. of the devil's employees whose job it is to make sure that he's safe and that he comes into his destiny um, to eventually rule Earth. Um, the, the the horror in the film is played out by the acting on the wife's part, and the wife, Catherine Thorne, was played by Lee Remick. Stellar acting. You see her hesitancy. You see her fear. You see her constantly questioning. And before she finally says, I don't think Damien is mine, you see that she knows something is wrong with him. And that scene at the zoo where he, all the animals try to attack him. Um, the scene at the church mm-hmm. where they pull up to the church and he has like this visceral, physiological reaction of just repulsion um, just being near the church. Um, these are the only two things, but they're huge things, and she's in constant state of doubt. Then we have Damien's nanny, um, Mrs. Baylock. This lady right here, um, she was played by Billy um, Whitelaw. I haven't seen her in, in any other film that I can remember, but um, I know she had a great theater career. Anyway, she played Mrs. Baylock. Oh, actually, she was in a lot of movies. She was in Hot Fuzz most recently. But anywho... There is one scene, the scene right before she kills Damien's mother, where she's just looking this woman in the eyes. And the look in her eyes is just pure evil. That look in her eyes was the scariest part of the entire film. Mm-hmm. You know, the original woman knows exactly what I'm talking about. If looks could kill, the lady would have been, like, stabbed, then shot, then set on fire been cremated and had her ashes spat <laughs> on. <laughs> like it was, it's that it, it was that bad. Um, I, I love I it love when a movie film. can have a character can, that can con- convey the horror with their face and their body language, not just a bunch of weird, crazy screaming, but just saying just like just, just the look and expression they give chills you because you almost imagine yourself in that situation and you're scared shit. Exactly. I'm looking at the look in this woman's eyes, and it's like, it says everything. It says, I have killed before, I enjoy killing before, and I'm going to enjoy killing you right now. Um, it's crazy um, how great, how amazingly she was able to convey such strong emotion with just a look. Um, so, yeah, the omen is definitely up there. I think it's very intricately played out. To, and it's another one of those movies that I think it's, it's simultaneously horror and care, um, you know, on character study. Um, so that's that's on my list. What's the next one on your list? Okay, now I gotta say that uh, my next movie um, is one that I, it really caught me off guard because um, normally a sequel isn't much better than a. Uh, um, than uh, uh, the original, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I think I like this movie because it was just. Hold on a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people were around me. All right, I, I like this movie because it was, you know, it was fun. It was night uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. Jason lives, and they have to say that Jason lives. Because if anyone is, first of all, don't see 
Friday the 13th, Part 5. Let's pretend there was no Friday the 13th, Part 5. You know what? I'm going to spoil Friday the 13th, Part 5 for you. There ain't no fucking Jason in that movie. It, there is no Jason in that movie. Whose idea was that shit? I don't know. But anyway, look. So this part six introduces the zombie Jason. And um, it's played by C.J. Graham in this one. After C.J. Graham, it will be played by Kane Hodder for the next four movies. Um, but C.J. Graham was the first zombie Jason. Pretty much unstoppable and it mixed a uh, um, a menace with kind of almost it was there was a little white ride comedy in there. Then you got the blonde chick who is supposed to be like nineteen but looks like she's thirty five, and you got the, you know, the white kid who's supposed to be Tommy Jarvis. If you put if you fought the mythos, then Tommy Jarvis was also played by uh, Corey Feldman in a few of the earlier sequels, and so um, they jumped his continuity all over the place, and so now he's about 30-something or something. I don't know. And um, so it takes place at the at the camp, and you got Jason doing some great kills, doing some stalking and whatnot. At one point, he gets into a fight with this girl's um, father, who is also the sheriff, and folds that son bitch in half backwards. That shit was great. Yeah. Okay. I mean, God, I, I was tripping out with that shit, man. I, um, and it just, it just, it, it just, you know, it just a uh, a good horror movie, good fun horror movie. Just you're not really too afraid of it, but you know, um, okay. also apparently, you know, Crystal Lake is. I, I don't get how. I don't even understand this. Like. You don't want to get killed? Don't go to Camp Crystal Lake. It's not even that deep. Like, they act like it's a formula or rocket science or something. You don't want to get killed? Don't go to Camp Crystal Lake. That camp would still be an operation. (laughs) I'm sorry, man. Oh, Lord. That's all. It's a a great movie, though. What's yours? Okay, my next film. Don't laugh at me now because this film really does scare the shit out of me. I'm going to need one of my callers to back me up on this. Please let me know how terrified you were of this film. Monkey Shines. Oh, yeah. I that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You guys, um, let me look up the date that this film was released. But um, Monkey Shines is a film about a man who has a terrible accident. Okay, it was released in 1988. So I was like three years old when this movie came out. But... Um, it's about a uh, man has terrible accident, becomes a quadriplegic, and he has a trained monkey help him with his paralysis. But then this thing starts catching feelings and uh, and becomes incredibly hostile toward him. The monkey basically becomes like the simian version of um, Kathy Bates in Misery. He keeps him hostage in that house. If you've ever seen Kathy Bates in, his, in, in Misery, just replace her with a monkey, and you have monkey shine. <laughs> um, it's awesome. <laughs> I just can't even put it in the words how freaking good this movie is. And this is one of those terrible, this is one of those examples of movies that are, are bad but good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it's like the concept is really wonky, but it's, if you just if you just go with it, you'll enjoy the movie. 
you're like, this could never happen, you know. Like, you're not going to have, um, you're not going to have, you know, you know, randomness going on with, um, with, you know, this person gets an accident. And no, they're not going to have an actual caretaker. They're going to have a monkey. But if you if you can wrap your head around that premise, this movie is really, really good. And it just taught me never to trust Capuchins and um, don't get hit by buses. <laughs> Fun fact about this movie. dog with bricks <laughs> in his backpack, man. Uh, he was about that life. He's like those dudes that run on the treadmill with like a weight in their backpack. <laughs> like you don't know about that life, Mario. But apparently, it's a pretty big deal to be able to run with obscene amounts of weight strapped on your back. And fun fact about mm-hmm. this movie: it's one of the first um, films to depict a, one of the few films still to depict a quadriplegic having sex. Um, fun fact about yeah. this woman: um, the reason why a lot of people think. Um, they've never seen that kid Harvey Stevens who played Damien in the first movie. Again, it's because he doesn't look anything like himself. Um, they actually dyed um, Harvey Stevens' hair and straightened it. So he went from curly blonde to straight dark brown hair for the role of Damien. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Fun fact about that. But um, back to Monkey Shine, don't trust the Capuchins. They're evil. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The other title of the film is actually Monkey Shines, An Experiment in Fear. Mm. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It, that, it, that's an incredibly creepy movie. Just evil monkeys, just homicidal monkeys. There's something crazy about that. Yeah, he was he was on his Kathy Bates. He's like catching feelings and stuff. He, I mean, if the man's like were working, I'm pretty sure he would have put a brick between them and broken them too. Let's be honest. <laughs> that probably would have happened. Um, what's the next one on your list? Oh, okay, dig it. Um, this would be kind of quick. The Howling, uh, the original Howling, I forget the year, but this one is one of the few werewolf movies that I actually like, and I might do this as a double bill with uh, 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 Dog Soldiers, which came out not too long ago. And um, the howling, first of all, I love the bipedal, upright, menacing werewolf. I don't like those fucking poodles and happy-go-lucky little dogs from Twilight. I, I don't consider those to be werewolves, just big-ass wolves. They like to tear apart black guys with dreadlocks, okay? I, I don't like those kind of – I do love seeing the menace of the traditional – not the traditional, because the traditional werewolf would be the the wolfman, you know, looks like a, a pug or something like that, which, you know, that's a great classic movie if you like Universal Classics, which I do. But I prefer the upright bipedal uh, uh, werewolf that you see in The Howling and later on in Dog Soldiers. And um, mm-hmm. pretty much, you know, it's, it's a pretty pretty straightforward movie. Somebody's turning into a werewolf. There's some good sex and a good creepy sex because you get these guy this guy turning into a werewolf while he's getting some, and it's kind of kind of almost hilarious at the same time, you know. And um, but uh, creature effects are awesome. The creature effects, you know, and if you're a stickler for practical effects like I am, you're going to enjoy seeing 
the distended jaw and the fur and the bones elongating and breaking and stuff like that. If you saw American Werewolf in London, you know what I'm talking about. Um, oh, yeah, I love that one. The, yeah, the person is going through this process and this transformation versus now with CG, you know, that boy in um, Twilight turned in an instant. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't like that. You know, it, Same it's, thing it's, with it's Teen Wolf. This is actually yeah. one of the things I enjoyed about the BBC, uh, the BBC America show Being Human is that the werewolf character, George, whenever he turns, you see it not only in every minute um, change that happens in his body, but you also see the agony that he's in while the transformation is right. taking place. Right, right, right. That's the same way it was in American Werewolf in London is like, did you just reference? No, no, okay. Yeah, you see the pain of the transformation and whatnot. And um, by the way, I found the the, the reference. It's uh, the Howling from 1981. This is also starring Dee Wallace. And um, mm. so uh, it's, you know, it's I just, I just love the practical effects, you know, and just seeing men in suits and stuff with great, great creature effects and animatronics in the face and all that. I love that shit because you, the, the actor is reacting to what they're seeing in front of them. That person is right in front of them versus with the, the CG that is not really happening. That The actor has to imagine that's happening in front of them for them to even react to it. So it doesn't look as genuine. And the, the cleanness of CGI is just, you know, it's just, it's just not as good to me. But... You might like this if you like werewolf movies and don't like poodles. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Okay, um, the next one on my list is, it's not really a horror. It's a psychological thriller, which to me is much scarier because I see the realism in, in psychological horrors. I mean, minus the fantasy of werewolves and vampires and you know, just off-the-wall situations, like movies like Michael, like um, Halloween, I would consider it like, to be a psychological horror. And this film is as well, but it's much, much more low-key, a lot less blood and guts, a lot more intellect. And that one is Joshua. Joshua was oh, released in 2012. That. You need to watch this one. Joshua is basically the poster child for abortion. <laughs> I can't even I can't put it more simply than that Excuse me, the movie was put out in 2007 Yeah Josh was released in 2007 And the lead, the title role Is played by um, Jacob Kogan Who later on goes on to play young Spock In the new Star Wars um, But It's a It's a film about, you know, a very very seemingly well-adjusted nine-year-old boy named Joshua. He's smart. He's handsome. He's kind. He's talented. Um, you know, he plays soccer. He makes good grades. He plays the piano really beautifully. He is, um, he's he's well-behaved. It's seemingly the perfect child. And then what happens is when his um, his his sister's baby sister is born, his behavior takes a turn for the worse. And he gets really, really sinister. And um, you don't really know why he's doing these things until the end of the movie. If you haven't seen it, I won't spoil it for you because it's not necessary for me to spoil it. But 
the film really shows you the evil that can lurk inside of some people. And it does something that the Halloween remake by Rob Zombie also did, so that evil just doesn't pop up out of the blue when you're an adult. Like, oh, I'm 18 now, I'm legal, guess it's time to be evil. Like, these people yeah. had, had psychopathic, violent tendencies from Jump Street. They were small children doing really, really crazy, fucked up things. And, you know, these people had a perfect life until their son decided to ruin it. The tagline for the movie is not all children are innocent, and this pretty much puts it down to a T. There's nothing, there was nothing physically wrong with Joshua. There's nothing psychologically wrong with Joshua. But Joshua not only made his life, his parents' lives hell, but fooled a trained child psychologist into thinking that he was being abused. And before the movie was done, his father was in prison, his mother was institutionalized, and his grandmother was dead. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that movie Bruh, scared man, the that's, living that's, crap out that. of me. You need to watch Joshua. You need to get on that, like, ASAP. And while you're at it, you need to watch We Need to Talk About Kevin. Kevin is not nearly as evil as Joshua because all of his behavior stems from his early um, infancy and childhood and um, being neglected and feeling unloved by his mother. Everything he does is acting out because of that. Joshua, on the other hand, is just pure evil. Like, you, you won't feel an ounce of sympathy for this child, especially in the end when all of his plans culminate and you see just how sick he really is. Um, it's just, it's just you need to watch this movie. Everyone in the world needs to watch Joshua. Um, Joshua was that movie that really, really made me proactive about taking my birth control. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> What's your next movie? You know, uh, um, I guess along those, I guess I go ahead and roll with that because along those lines is Children of the Corn from 1984, and uh, that movie, too. right? Yeah, man, it, that that movie right there will make you strap up because evil homicidal <laughs> little shits, you know, and. <laughs> Well, you know, and what's, this is the creepiest thing. That the the person, the guy who was leading the uh, 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 the little gang of kids. First of all, if I'm a, a, a grown man surrounded by a bunch of kids, and they've, I, if there's no adults around. The entire town is dead because they killed all the adults, and it's a free for all, and they're trying to kill me. Shit, I'm going to town. I'm dropping bows and I'm doing pulling all my WD, WWE moves out the bag, and I'm jumping out tape tables and drop bows on some kids. Anyway, mm-hmm. so all right, the kid that the, the guy that is playing the lead in the movie is was actually like twenty something at the time. He has some type of genetic disorder that prevented him from growing too too much, and he's mm-hmm. actually kind of still acting now. But at the time, that kid was already in his twenties. Mm-hmm. And so and then you got we could see you though, his, because because look I'm like I was watching this movie and I I said this to everybody I'm like he's old as hell this kid has wrinkles he has right, wrinkles on his right. eyes I'm like what are you talking about he's ten years old maybe the character's ten years old he's not ten years old <laughs> yeah it, it, it's 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 an amazing movie uh it's 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 pretty it's a bad movie because you got to concede the fact that these kids were able to hatch this plan and kill off 
every adult in the city. And the timeline, it says three years. So nobody else outside this entire city who, I mean, I guess it's, a, it's not an isolated town because uh, Leno Hamilton, pre-badass phase, and her husband drive right into the town. So, you know, they well, left one the adult thing, alive. Though, nobody ever drives to the town. They drive through the town, and that's the problem. It's one of those drive-through, not-stop-in places. And the second thing about it is nobody ever thinks their children are going to do some evil shit until it's too late. You know, perfect example, Kevin and Joshua, and we need to talk about Kevin and Joshua. My only, the only thing that impressed me was that how everybody, so many children were in on the plan and it managed to remain a secret. Right, 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 right. You know, except those 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 two who didn't age for three years, but we'll ignore that. <laughs> and, um, and then Malachi's night, night, evil 19-year-old ginger ass, man. And this is an ugly son of a bitch, man. I mean, yes. Malachi. But, you know, all the kids were afraid of Malachi. But, you know, they got lucky to bite. They got lucky to bite a, bite a brick with his big-ass mouth. I mean, that guy, <laughs> really, he is as ginger as they come. I mean, he is freckled out. But, um, but you know, the, the twist in the movie is there really is a demon in the, the corn. Yeah, the demon in the corner. Yeah, the children weren't evil. Well, I mean, the children were evil, but it's they weren't worshiping fiction. They were worshiping a real evil, sinister entity. Um, yeah. And you got the the feeling toward the end that Malachi was probably, and a lot of them were probably possessed. They always mm-hmm. knew where to find anyone that was hiding, which just isn't normal, especially considering the lack of education among the group. Um, and the corn moved, like, no one would be around, and the corn would, like, you get trapped in the corn and die. Right. Yeah. Right. So, it, 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 you know, it was a real creepy, creepy little movie and everything. If you can, you know, if you don't mind evil kid movies and uh, thinking about maybe it might be time to up, re-up on that on bird control, check this out. <laughs> um, okay. Next on my list is... Lord of the Flies, not the 1970 oh, yeah. version, but the 1990 version starring the actor, ironically, named Balthazar Getty. It's kind of cool that the evil kid in the movie was named Balthazar. The actor who played him was named Balthazar. Um, and this movie was like his, his best-known role, even though he kept on acting. Um, you know, for years after that, after Lord of the Flies, um, Fun fact about that movie, um, he, um, Balthazar Getty broke his arm falling out of a tree prior to the production of Lord of the Flies, and the producers wanted him for that lead so badly that they wrote the broken arm into the script. Awesome. Um, but anyone who's seen Lord of the Flies, basically you have uh, a group of schoolboys who um, are stranded on a deserted island, and they just descend into savagery. And I love this yeah. so much because it shows that no matter how what the nurture is, you train a child to be polite and proper and well-behaved and well-dressed and considerate when you are in a life-or-death situation. And more importantly, when you're isolated and removed from rules and consequences of society, um, the man's evil 
true evil nature surfaces. There is an argument that man is inherently good and society makes him evil, and another argument that says man is inherently evil and society makes him good. I tend to agree with the latter. I believe that if we did not have rules and real consequences like prison imprisonment or the death penalty, we'd have a lot more crime. I really do believe that the, uh, what's keeping a lot of people from doing some really, really heinous, evil things is fear of imprisonment or fear of death themselves. And it's the only thing keeping a lot of people on the straight and narrow. Um, not everyone. I think that most people um, just don't do things due to empathy. But I think we did, we'd have a lot more crime, or, or it wouldn't be considered crime, but we'd have a lot more people visiting violence upon other people if we didn't have prisons mm-hmm. to scare the shit out of them. And movies like American History X to scare you about what happens when you go to prison. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie's great And it's scary because you see the savagery Among these children And it gets to the point where you don't even see them as children anymore You only see them as predator and prey mm. So yeah, Lord of the Flies Definitely on my list And anyone who hasn't read the book, you need to get on that um, It's amazing um, Jeff Golding, Lord of the Flies Please do yourself a favor and read that What's next on your list? Okay. Um, Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses. And I'm not even normally the modern horror horror person. I'm normally into the, 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 the old school B movies and st- shit like that. But uh, that, um, that, that damn uh, uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, which is Rob Zombie's little ode to... Uh, old school 70s um, horror and everything like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and whatnot, it just, you know, it, it just, it's a, it's one of those movies that is just loaded with horrific shit that actually creeped me out. And I it takes me a lot, it takes a lot for me to get creeped out in the movie now. But I'm watching this movie, and it's going from the, the insane family, because you got uh, Bill Mosley, who was playing the, 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 the lead character, um, the lead family member, and then you got uh, Sherry Zombie, who is playing, um, I forget the name of her character, and she is just playing this person who alternates between being old, so creepily goofy to being um, uh, um, a real menace, like she will, will kill you, with a, with a smile on her face, with a bright, happy little smile on her face. And mm-hmm. then... Um, then you got uh, uh, um, Sig Haig is in the movie. Sid Haig is a, is is an old um, horror and black exploitation uh, favorite I love and whatnot. Sid Haig. I think he's so underrated, like Rob Zombie. Um, right. He's a great actor. Right. And um, um, you got uh, I mean, you got so much going on in this movie. There's just there's so much there's so many horror elements in it because you got the, the creepy isolation of we're in this situation, in a horrific situation. There's nothing we can do about it. These people do not care about my pain and my fear. They're laughing at it. They're thriving off of it, you know. Um, um, And then you get towards the end and you realize it's even more insane. There's a deformed Mm -hmm. mutant down there. Um, uh, um, doing experiments yeah, their brother that never lived in the house and always was on the outskirts, killing yeah. everybody. 
and they come yeah, to the last do- to save them from getting killed because even though they're homicidal maniacs, they totally love each other. Right. They're incestuous with homicidal maniacs because the, the older brother and sister were sleeping together. Right. Yeah. yeah, and you know, and then you got Doctor Satan at the end of the movie, man, uh, and it's it just it, it it's one of those movies that actually had me going, wow! Do not drive, don't don't drive my black ass in deserted areas with insane white people living a long miles away from civilization. That's what horror movies taught me: avoid deserted islands. Avoid drive-through towns. Actually, don't drive through them. Drive around. Avoid empty tanks of gas. Avoid um, car trouble at night. Avoid yeah. fields of any sort. Avoid large groups of white people. Avoid towns with no people. <laughs> like, how to survive a horror flick. <laughs> right, um, right. Okay. And, like, and, and if you... Hold on. Oh, no, keep on. And if you manage to get that dude on the ground, stomp the shit out of his ass. One thing Double that bothered me about always. Halloween, right? One thing that bothered me about Laurie Strode in uh, um, Halloween 1978 is that she got Michael Myers on the ground twice. Stomp his ass. Go over there. Right? Start stomping his shit in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, the next movie on my list is Orphan. Oh yeah, yeah, this yeah, yeah. This is another one. This is this is a creepy kid flick that turns out not to be a creepy kid flick. Just fucking creepy. <laughs> it stars <laughs> yeah. one of my two of my favorite actors, Vera Farmiga and Peter Sarsgaard. I've loved Vera Farmiga since Roar. Anyone who remembers um, Roar with Heath Ledger, it was a short-lived TV series that was on Fox many, many, many moons ago. And Peter Sarsgaard, I've had a love-hate relationship with him since um, Boys Don't Cry. Um, hated the character, but loved what he did with that role. Anywho, the mm-hmm. movie's about a couple who recently lost their infant. They have two children, um, and they decide, you know, after the loss of their child, to adopt a third child. Um, and they adopt a little girl named Esther. Esther is played by Isabel Furman. This woman orphan was her very first movie, and she just said chills up and down my spine. If this girl's agent is worth, like, anything at all, her curl will be blown up. And I actually saw her in a minor role in The Hunger Games, but she needs to be doing more stuff. She needs to be yeah. in everything they can put her in. Actually, they said this is not her first role. She had a minor role in the movie Town Dog, um, starring Dakota Fanning as well. But this was her first lead role. And believe me, she runs with it. Um, she took it and she ran with it. Um, she sure anyway, did. I mean, you, you, I mean, because you yeah, got this okay. little girl not only playing a creepy little girl, but she's playing a creepy little girl with an a, a, a European accent, and she's right? pulling it off. Kevin Costner right? was supposed to be was supposed I mean, to play yeah, um, Robin Hood with a British DC. accent, and he said, "Fuck it." Yeah, like um, Isabel Furman was born in Washington D.C. and grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, her right. accent on that movie was spot on. And when Orphan right. was released, she was only twelve years old. Right. Um, 
Right. So the movie was being filmed when she was about 10 or 11. Right. But you got American anywho, actors now who won't even attempt an accent because they know they can't pull it off. Exactly. Exactly. And her accent was flawless. So they adopted a little girl from an orphanage. Her name is Esther. They meet her. She has this kind of mannerisms. She dresses so beautifully like a little doll. And she's a very talented artist. Um, and they they immediately take to her. And then she comes into the home, and all of a sudden she starts throwing shade at the wife that's being a complete bitch. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, like, what happened to the little cute um, um, Russian girl we adopted. The only people in the family who don't like her are the mother and the son. The father and the, the, the couple's daughter, who is a deaf, think that she's the greatest thing ever. And that ends on the daughter's part when she sees Esther kill a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, the the yeah. nun who came over there. And it, then it turns out Esther's not a little girl. She is a grown woman with pituitary dwarfism, which makes your body proportional. And this is why right. earlier in the movie she had such an aversion to going to the dentist, because if she had gone to the dentist, the dentist would have known how old she is. Um, right. And and um, she had a, and she didn't even have her teeth, um, which she was wearing were dentures. Um, and she had a history um, of um, being taken in by families and trying to destroy the families when she... Um, this has to have her sights set on the, the men in the family. And right. the movie was intense, like really, really intense. This is the kind of movie that makes me afraid of adoption, too. Like pretty much every every child scenario has I've been frightened of due to fill-in-the-blank movie. This right. movie right. makes me feel that any child you have should come out of your womb. <laughs> right. She, she she had me creeped out though, especially when she said uh, she um um threatened the little boy, and literally uh-huh. scared the piss out of him, and said if you tell anybody, I cut your little prick off before you even know what it's for. This is a year old girl with a Russian accent saying that. There's actually a backstory on that. Like I said before, she's actually a girl with a military dwarfism, and we learned that before Esther was in the mental institution and then in the orphanage where they found her, um, she was actually um, she was actually a high-class prostitute for um, rich pedophiles. Ah. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. That happened. Awesome. And she's got some daddy issues, which is why she keeps every time she goes into these new homes, she keeps falling for these um for these men and trying to destroy the families. Awesome. That that was a good creepy one right there. But yeah, kudos to Isabella Farman. She was a great, great, great um lead in that movie. I can't imagine anyone else. I think she did an excellent job. Um, the movie is very well developed. Vera Farmiga is always, always stellar to watch. Peter Sarsgaard is always stellar to watch. Um, and the children who played um, their daughter and son, hold on, let me see who those are, they did an excellent job as well. Um, Jimmy Bennett and um, Ariana Engineer. Um, and I believe... Yeah, in real life, she really is hearing impaired. Um, so, and she, oh, she great. she's hearing impaired, and she has a deaf mother. So that's why she was perfect for the role. She was little, she was cute, and she was actually deaf, so she could actually sign. 
um, which was necessary for her character in the film. Um, the, the role was very well played by her. I, it, she didn't get enough screen time, in my opinion, but everyone else who did did an amazing job. That's awesome. That's awesome. I didn't know that. So, what's next on your list? Okay, okay, okay. This right here is one of my good baddies because, really, it's not really much of a horror movie. So, so much of it, so much is it a what the fuck is happening movie? Uh, it's, it's Halloween Three, season of the witch. Now, I gotta tell you something. I'm gonna tell you something. Most okay. sequels continue something. You know, Friday um uh Friday thirteenth has Jason through all the movies except for the one that shall not be mentioned. This movie right here, I the producers and making makers of uh, Halloween decided that the Michael Myers storyline had been played out. They didn't have any other ideas. As a matter of fact, when they wrote Halloween two they didn't have any ideas. Lori Stroll ended up being Michael Myers' sister only because John Carpenter didn't have another anything else. He didn't know what else to do with the character. So that's how that that whole origin came about. And four, five, and six take that and run in a whole other direction with it. Mm-hmm. Halloween. So they, what they were going to do was create an annual Halloween story. It'd be a different story every year. The problem is they attached Halloween and three to that to that that movie. They should have started an entirely new franchise. So what you have here is ancient druid rituals, maniacal Irish businessmen, androids, and magic in the same movie. And you're sitting there wondering where the hell is Michael Myers? Because he's not in the movie. There is no Michael Myers in this movie. This movie has nothing to do with Haddonfield, Jaden Lord, I mean, uh, Jamie, uh, uh, Laurie Strode, or anybody else in the Halloween mythos. It is purely it's just, a one-off. A movie and we need a way to bring the audience to the theater, so let's just call it Halloween. Right, right. And so it is insane. And it's playing this mo- this song over and over and go over again about the uh, it's a Halloween cop countdown with an Irish with an Irish uh, kind of sound in it. And um. Apparently, this Irish business businessman found got chips of stone ends to put them in these microchips and sell them in his mask. And at the at, a, at nine o'clock on Halloween night, this commercial is going to play, and it causes something in the mask to activate and produce crickets and snakes, which kill the children wearing the mask and some shit like that. And you got Tom Atkins. With pretty much a mustache attached to a human being, and he is sleeping with this woman who would never in the world sleep with him. And he's on. You see him calling his wife on occasion, complaining about now nah, I'm not coming home and stuff like that. And he's a psychologist. Oh no, he's a doctor investigating this crazy conspiracy, and somehow another androids end up in the movie, and they rip people's heads off and everything, and it's it just, it's the most batshit movie you'll ever see, and the reason why I love it, because it is that batshit. It is crazy. So check it out. All right. I think I will look into that. 
the next one on my list, it doesn't scare me anymore. I think it's quite comical, but when I first saw it, I was very, very afraid. And that is Leprechaun, starring Warwick Davis and Jennifer Aniston. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know the story behind Leprechaun, it's pretty much this. Um, um, this man goes to the U.S. after seeing the Leprechaun's part of gold. He thinks he can settle down and enjoy his newfound wealth, but then the Leprechaun finds him, and he barely gets away with his, li- his life after locking the little monster in his basement. Ten years later, another man and his spoiled daughter move in, by accident, the Leprechaun is released, and almost immediately it starts looking for its gold um, and killing indiscriminately along the way. Um, <laughs> Jennifer Aniston's acting in that movie was, uh, well, it was very Rachel. It was like if you took Rachel from Friends and you put her in a horror movie, that's what you'd have. But, yeah, that's on my list. Just a little, we don't need to spend that much time on it, but I was really afraid of this movie when I first saw it. Um your turn. Oh man, that, that that's that was a, I think that was a funny one too. You know, um, what's another one that scared the shit out of me though? Because I I don't have too many of those. Um, I tell you one thing: The Exorcist, the original mm. Exorcist, scared that one got me, man. Because I remember being a kid, and I, at, at this time I was still a believer, so I still believed this shit. So here I am thinking, like, oh, my God, this could really happen. And so it, it, uh, if you've seen The Exorcist, you know pretty much the story. Um, this little girl, Reagan, her name's Reagan, played by mm-hmm. Linda Blair. And um, she um, is possessed by a demon and um, pretty much torments the little girl and um, you got Max von Sydow in it. You got to love Max von Sydow. That guy is a great actor, man. And he's still he's still going strong at what, 78 years old. Um, and he's the uh, um, he's the preacher, he, the reverend who was trying to exercise her along with uh, another guy who I don't think we ever saw again. And um, it just it becomes you know a pretty much a battle of pure good and evil. Um, the woman who um, did her voice was Mercedes McCambridge, and this woman smoked a whole lot of cigarettes to make her voice that gravelly and stuff like that. And it just you know, but you got to imagine that because Reagan's mouth is moving, she did say those things. And imagine like the girl couldn't have been. I think she was like twelve, fifteen at the time thrusting a crucifix in her vagina and whatnot. Uh-huh. And um, the, the crescendo of the movie has the demon possessing uh, the, the reverend and him throwing himself out the window to uh, uh, to take the demon with him. The trivia on that is that that, uh, um, that uh, 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 stuntman had to do that fall twice. Mm-hmm. When he jumped out the window and fell down concrete stairs, he had to do that twice. And um, it was pretty bad because they padded it with rubber, but there's not much you can do about the fall that he had. That was just amazing. Um, do you know about the curse of the exorcist? Uh, actually, I wasn't I wasn't at all afraid of the exorcist, by the way. Um, the exorcist, let me tell you a few movies. It's the exorcist, the shining 
um, and the final destination flicks were movies that I thought were funny as opposed to scary. I thought the buffoonery mm. in the films was too much. Like this, there's one scene where she takes Reagan to the doctor, and doc, and the doctor's like, "Oh, she's just acting out." It's like acting out doesn't make people levitate, dumbass. And I'm like, I'm literally <laughs> my screen when I was 11 years old. I'm like, what are you talking about acting out? You sound stupid right now. But yeah, apparently mm-hmm. the, a number of accidents happened um, in the making of and shortly after the completion of The Exorcist. And there were between four and nine deaths in the making of the movie. Yeah. Like, it's real. Things happen on the set of The Exorcist, and that only generated more buzz, and they really tried to keep that under wraps because they didn't want people to think the movie was cursed, but Things kept happening to the stunt people and the actors on that movie. Yeah, it was the same thing I was heard about uh, Poltergeist. There were a lot of things kept happening. And, and um, that little girl eventually died. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think a few more people died. You know, I know one of the sequels, that old, that really creepy old dude, I think he died soon after the movie or whatever. I can't remember. And, um, and that's, it, you know, and me being an atheist, I say there's got to be an explanation. But at the time, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh my God, this shit is real, you know. <laughs> then again, you got to wonder why an evil entity would want to kill people who are making movies about it. Right. So. Okay, so the next one on my list is a classic starring Young Mia Farrow. It's called Rosemary's Baby. Oh, um, yeah. If you are not watching, if you have never watched, um, I don't know what you're doing. And Mia Farrow has a way of attracting these sick um, pedo directors. Um, this is a Roman Polanski film, and we know she was also married to Lee mm-hmm. Allen. That's another one. They're both great, great filmmakers. i got to hand this to them, but both these dudes are kind of sick in the head. Anyways, Roman Polanski put her in this movie, um, Rosemary's Baby, which I think is one of the few horror movies he's ever made. Um, so they're a young couple, she and her husband. Um um, John John Kasevitz is the husband, and um, they are moving to a new apartment, and they have all these weird neighbors, and she thinks she gets drugged one night, but really she's been drugged, and she turns up the next morning, you know, she sees all these horrible scratches on her back and stuff, and she's like, dude, you not only had sex with me when I was passed the hell out, because I don't remember anything, but you, like, left abrasions on my body, what's up? And he's like, I'm sorry, I was just re- really in the mood. Something just came over me. And then she turns up mysteriously pregnant. So he turns up pregnant and yeah. she's getting stalked by all manner of just crazy people. And then she's afraid for the life of this child. Um, right. And trying to keep herself safe from people that, like, are saying, oh, you know, just weirdness surrounding her baby. Trust her drive her crazy. She gives birth yeah, to kind of the, all the, new ma- the, the new neighbors and her husband are agents of the Antichrist, and this is the son of the devil. Um, um, right. Her Andy, who has these like ghoulish demon eyes. Mhm. Yeah, that that was that was. A, I remember being totally creeped out by that movie when I first saw it, and um, you know, uh because yeah, just the the idea. Because uh, it, it reminded me of this other movie I saw called The Entity, in which this woman gets raped by a demon. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember how that movie ended, 
or whatever, but I remember it being creepy as all hell. Like, wow. You know, rape. Um, in, the, in, the, in, in the book, too, and I, 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 um, I don't know if anyone read the book um, by Year 11. Um, you see in the end that um, Rosemary decides to raise the baby. You know, she's thinking to herself, you know, he's kind of cute, Andy, even if he has those funny eyes. And um, his mother, after all. And so she she stays and she takes care of him and, um, you know, she mothers him, basically. Yeah, that's uh, that would be an abortion, I mean, adoption case right there. Uh, who's gonna, first of all, who's going to want to try to put that child up for adoption? And secondly, we don't even know what those people would have done to her if she had tried to give up that baby. I think she did the right thing for point. her health and sanity and life by keeping that baby. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's the next one on your list? All right. So um, I guess, uh, let's see. Yeah, I'm not going to go to a classic. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go to a classic. All right. Uh, I think it was 1931. Uh, Bride of Frankenstein. I think. It was mm. But uh, it, it, I love it, I love the old classic Universal movie, and um, I think it was really well done, really well directed, and whatnot. And it, 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 Frankenstein has has never really been much of a monster. He's also always been more of a tragic figure than anything. And so um, when you put him in this situation, you realize. The monster is actually the doctor. Excuse me, it was 1935. Mm-hmm. Uh, the monster is actually the doctor. You know, yes, the, the creation is not the monster. And um, 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 that that alone right there just kind of spins it on its head because you're expecting the deformed creature um, to be uh, um, you're expecting the deformed creature to be uh, um. Uh, um, the monster, but no, it's not. You know, it's actually the doctor because he's the one who's, who's creating all this, and um, and what. And not so, only that, um, he has no compassion and no love for his creation because of the hideous, even though he made it that way. And that's right. what I loved about that film because it stays true to the novel, which I believe Mary Shelley was trying um was trying to use as a way of of exploiting the nature of religious beliefs where we see humanity mm-hmm. as corrupt and evil and broken and not putting any blame on the the supposed creator who made us that way. Right. 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 And it, yeah, who only great, loves but, us under certain and, conditions. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point you made too cuz I yeah, I remember reading about that. And um I just think it was Especially in the climate and time that she wrote that, that was really that was, that was great. And um, yeah, I thought the book was very, very evolved even now. I think it right. would be very popular. Obviously, use of language and vernacular might have to be shifted a bit, but I think it would still it would probably go down as a classic if it were released today. Right. And um, then you know, finally, you know, the end of the movie when he realizes when Frankenstein. Pretty much commits suicide, and he tells the doctor, "We belong dead." And that was—I mean, for 1935, that was deep. Yeah, there was. So yeah, that's a great one. Um, let's see what's next on my list. Nightmare on Elm Street. 
the original mm-hmm. from 1984, um, and it was starring a bunch of people, um, Heather Langenkamp, um, Robert England, of course, who plays Freddie, and um, Johnny Depp. Mm. And um, um, fun joke for everybody who lives in Florida, <laughs> you probably wouldn't get this joke, but there's a there's a, a news anchor named Christy Krueger in Florida, and um, she's married to a man named Freddy Krueger. So, fun, fun fact. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. about Robert England, I thought that he was genius in the role of Freddy. Genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really think yeah. his acting in the movie is very underrated because Freddy was one of the first villains, and I, he's still probably the only one from that classic horror genre who uses humor to instill fear. He doesn't just intimidate through looking tough in a corner or wielding weapons, even though he does wield weapons. The way he speaks and the way he behaves is more of a threat to you. Because you, Freddy is always dangerous when he's being funny. It's when he's being serious that you know he's in actual danger and you might have a chance of surviving. Um, Yeah. And I love the way that the film is um, because it shows the evil never really dies. Um, right. He was a he was an evil person, and he came back evil. Um, right. And right. And that it, first it, that it, first kill. That first yeah. kill. That 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 is amazing. That's an amazing one right there. When he, what when I love he, about he got this film. Hmm? What I'm going. No, no, go ahead. That, that, um, <laughs> uh, uh, that, that first kill when he kills the, the, the girl and in the room with the dude. Oh, yeah. I remember watching that when I was like nine years old, and I was I was blown away. I really was. Um, I I never <laughs> seen such gruesome deaths as he did before, and I don't know if it was in this one or in one of the sequels, but there's a scene where he takes an enormous Q-tip and shoves it in the girl's ear and kills her that way. Um, right. Yeah, it was it was it was gruesome. Um, what I love about these movies is just, in my mind, the entire time I watch this movie, I'm like, why don't they just move? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, does he even have any power outside his own sea? Like, and and B. Once he told one friend and they started dreaming about him too, why do you feel the need to tell everybody else? What kind of friend are you? Right, <laughs> right, 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 like, right. What kind of sick shit is that? Like, don't tell me. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. You know, and, and Freddie, you know, uh, Robert England, in all, especially when the series started getting really bad and stuff and getting terrible, it was Robert England that kept kept those movies from being a complete load of shit that they could have been. Like with Halloween, you know, as you get higher into the numbers, it becomes just this, what the hell were you thinking when you made this movie? And, oh, yeah. Um, Pretty much all the sequels, Robert England had to carry by himself. We don't even remember yeah. who the cast are. Have we even seen these people in any other movies? Probably not. Or if we did, they were hell so no. inconsequential that we don't care. So, uh-huh. All, everybody except Johnny Depp went on to do something else. Now, and again, he was another one. He's another one that went right under the radar. I didn't realize he was in this movie until I watched the movie again after watching Edward Scissorhands. 
right. even if the movies had great actors, pretty much they either didn't get enough screen time, the dialogue was really hokey, or, um, you know, they, they just dropped the ball and let him do all the work and didn't pull their weight right. in these movies. Right, right, right. And um, that, you know, that, that you know, that's, it, it, it is a culture. I mean, this is Wes Craven's uh, movie that made him be considered a horror master. And according to him, he didn't even intend for it to be an ongoing sequel. And that's something you'll find about Halloween and Friday the 13th. The makers of these iconic movies never intended for sequels to be made. But And that's you know, how the movies became classics, because they weren't holding anything back for just in case we get a sequel. They poured everything right. into this movie, and it became something so brilliant that we just had to have more. Right, right, right. Yeah. And um, I I guess I'll throw in um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre on top of that because, I mean, even though I kind of talked about it with Rob Zombie, just the idea, the classicness of it, um, and just the grittiness, the, the raw, visceral grittiness of the movie just was insane, man. And that first kill when they're in the house and you don't you don't know what the hell's going on. And um you got the main character trying to figure out what where's everybody at? Where's he at? And the house and everything and out of nowhere head comes a large dude with a mallet and slams against this dude's head and drags him off mm-hmm. the screen before you even know what what the fuck just happened. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it's you know, um that introduction of Leatherface was just an amazing thing. It just—it's another one of those movies that spawned some sequels that were pure shit. But um, <laughs> you know, it, it was still awesome, man. I mean, just oh man, it just went into such an insane uh, um, direction that you know, when, when the girl is in the in the in the kitchen, I mean, in, in the dining room with them, and they are terrorizing her, and you got this dude who is literally dead, but he's still like a fifth alive or something. I don't know. Um, and she's, I mean, you can tell. If Even if they had let this girl go, she was going to be screwed for the rest of her life. Her right. psyche would have broken after all that. Yeah, you know, I agree. So, hmm. <sighs> all right, my next movie, and this will be my last one because we only have 10 minutes left is Day of the Dead. Not to be confused with Dawn of the Dead. No, no, no. This is Day of the Dead. And it's starring Nina Solari and Nick Cannon. And this one was released in 2008. You like that movie? Yes, I love Day of the Dead. Love it. Um, And um, it's it's set in a small town in Colorado. And the town becomes overwhelmed by flesh-eating zombies. And um, um, it's a contagious zombie virus, but m- more than that, um, no, well, not contagious. You have to, they have to bite you, but it's not like airborne or anything. Um, but pretty much um, what makes the sense of this movie apart from other zombie movies is you don't have the zombie that is slow. You don't have the mm-hmm. zombie that is stupid. You have a mm-hmm. zombie with an average, with, with probably the IQ of your average 9 or 10-year-old who is as fast as Usain Bolt on steroids and amphetamines. And they do some matrix moves, um, wall crawling, all that kind of stuff. And the longer someone's been a zombie, 
the more they evolve as a zombie. So they're pretty much superior physically in every single way to human beings. Mm-hmm. This is not a zombie you can outrun. This is zombie, like if someone near you becomes a zombie and you don't want to become a zombie, you should probably just slit your wrist. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Normally the it's the infected zombie. It's real because, like, the movie isn't, it doesn't have that much, like, killing in it, but you're so mm-hmm. petrified because the entire time you're watching, all you can think of is, I wouldn't survive that, I wouldn't survive that, I wouldn't survive that. It's not like other zombies <laughs> movies where you're like, why are you so stupid? You could have gone out the window. You could have done this or you could have done that. It's just like, I wouldn't survive that. If this happened, I'd probably just break out my cookware, make myself my favorite meal, and sit down to a nice glass of wine with arsenic. Um, and just let that be that. <laughs> <laughs> like, trying to outrun these zombies is going to do anybody any good. Um, I'm not that fast. And these zombies are really, really, really fast. Like, Olympic athlete fast. Um, like, Olympic athlete meets Jason Statham in Crank. Pretty much. That's what these zombies are. Ooh, Don't do it to yeah. yourself. Don't even try to fight for yeah. your life. There's no point. Um, it's just a great, great movie. Um, so I think everyone should watch Day of the Dead. And while you're at it, watch Dawn of the Dead because it's a great flick. Um, Mario, right. we have time for your very last um, movie. What's it going to be? All right, I guess I am my last one being The Fun House. And this is another, um, I think it's another Toby, Toby Hooper movie. And um, basically it's a, one of those 70 movies that I kind of like that are kind of bad, but they're pretty pretty good to me. And real quick, not um, in the movie you realize that the uh, the the, the uh, guy chasing these kids through this fun house because it's creepy as hell is a deformed mutant, and mm-hmm. just the ending of it just was like wow, just a mi- another one of those mind fuck type mo- movies and whatnot. I've never seen that. Um, I'm gonna go watch it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to watch it now. Yeah, check it out. Cool. Oh, All right, so we we so that's our quick um, list of uh, our horror favorite favorites and whatnot. Um, this was a great fun show to me, and um, we'll probably be getting back. Oh, well, we got one more show um, in the month of October. In two like, weeks, um, remember we decided yeah. on our, our 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 in in two weeks we will have a show on our favorite sci-fi and fantasy TV series. Um, okay, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. Um, so tune into that, and we'll get back to our regularly regularly scheduled programming in November. But yeah, tune into right. that in two weeks. This list is going to be even longer. Um, so all the sci-fi fans need to tune into this one. It's going to be really fun. <laughs> right, and um, I'm gonna say, uh, before, real quick. I'm gonna say that um, the clips I use from Halloween and whatnot are copyright their respective owners, and no copyright infringement was intended. I don't own it. So just make sure that I cover the bases and everything like that. Um, what, as, as always, check out the uh, BFT Family Radio um, shows, uh, the break, uh, the uh, the backbeat, R- Raina's RSS feed, and Raina, uh, uh, Kim's normal show on Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, and uh, stay tuned to your BFT oh, Family and pages. And I'm glad to be star every other Thursday. To do oh, yeah, that. yeah, I'm sorry. Totally I'm sorry about that. It's every other Thursday. Um, I believe she'll be right. on this coming Thursday. And, of course, Mara and I will be back in two weeks. We're on every other Friday. 
at 6 p.m. Right. Eastern Standard Time. And um, On Blast is on every other Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Right. Cool. So um, those are your BFT family shows. Stay tuned to our pages, uh, subscribe or whatever, and we'll let you know um, when those are coming up. Normally um, uh, we have set days and whatnot, so I believe like Tim shows on Sunday, Radar shows on Saturday. I can't remember when the break backbeat is, but uh, trust me. They, I believe break is good on Wednesdays. Yeah, I just, think just, so. just subscribe so. to the blog talk, um, um, Backseat Thinkers Radio, and you will get the updates for the shows. Okay, that's the show, so y'all take care. Have a good night, everyone. All right, y'all have a ghoulish good time. <laughs> You're so corny. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.